You are listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene, online at bethanynaz.org. Well, good morning. I'm anxious to uh, share God's Word with you. I remember, I remember hearing a story or reading a story about a nun who decided part of her ministry should be visiting people in prison. And so she began to go to a, a nearby men's prison. She tells about having a meeting with a prisoner one day and he says to her, do you think that maybe you could help me? I would love to send my mother a Mother's Day card. Is there any way that you could help me attain a Mother's Day card? And she said, well, I don't know all the rules. I'm so new here, but, but, but maybe it could work out. I'll see what I can do. And so in the next meeting she had with another prisoner, she said, the last prisoner I met with asked if... Uh, if I could help him get a Mother's Day card. And I told him I would see what I could do. If I can, would, would you want me to get you a Mother's Day card that you could send to your mom? And he said, absolutely. And so she asked several other prisoners, which all responded positively. And so she got this idea where she contacted a greeting card company and said, what are the chances that you would be willing to send us greeting cards, donate them to the prison where they can send them to their Mother's Day, to, to their mothers for Mother's Day? So the greeting card company said, we'll get back to you. And so the response in a few days was, we have shipped some cards to the prison. We're glad to do this. And so she was so amazed after passing out all the cards that so many prisoners, way more than the majority, most of the prisoners wanted a card to send for their mothers. She began to think, well, wait a minute, in just a few weeks, it's Father's Day. And so she thought she would get ahead of the game. And so she contacted the greeting card company again and said, well, you know, Father's Day is coming up. We appreciated the Mother's Day cards. Would you want to send us Father's Day cards? And they said, no problem, we'll ship them to you. And to her surprise, in comparison, only a handful of inmates requested a Father's Day card. And being new to prison ministry, she began to learn something about our prisons. And what she learned was that 70% of the men in prison today come from fatherless homes. And so we spend $52 billion a year in our prison prison systems. And 72% of that is directly related to a fatherless home. And so I guess it answers the question for us, how important is the role of a father in a home? But I got a bag of questions. How important is the role of a husband in a marriage? Or how important is the role of a male in a community? Or how important is the role of a man a Christian man in his church. If we go to the book of Ephesians this morning, we'll find that Paul deals with that role of a husband in a marriage relationship. And so if you want to grab a Bible and open it with me to the book of Ephesians chapter 5, I'll start reading with verse 22. And as I read these words, I can't help but ask myself, so if we as a nation, we as men begin to take these words seriously, how would it change Our nation, how would it change our society? How would it change our culture? So 
We'll read from these words together. Let me just mention to you that the guy who is writing, his name is Paul. If you ask, so who are you writing to, Paul? He's really addressing Gentile Christians. In other words, these are people who did not grow up learning the Ten Commandments. They don't know who Abraham and Isaac and Jacob are. They don't really probably know the stories of Jonah and Noah and so on and on. These are people who are raised Gentiles, not Jew. But they become followers of Christ. And to use Paul's language, they are now living their lives in Christ. And he talks about, so now that you're in Christ, what is it like to live out your faith in existing relationships in your life? And that's how we get here, okay? So chapter 5, verse 22, and this is what the Word of God says. Um, Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives. Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy. Cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. And to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, right? But they feed and care for their own body just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and his mother, and he will be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect the husband. So may God bless the reading of his word. Amen? Amen. You know, I I noticed that in the lobby this morning you can sign up for the Swazi 5K. How many of you have ever participated in the Swazi 5K? It's it's an awesome event, and it's a a great cause. You're supporting the ministry that's happening in Swaziland. And not only are you supporting the children of Swaziland, but you're supporting the children of Bethany, Oklahoma. Because much of the money that's raised will also support the after-school program that is happening. And so it's just an awesome thing. I went last year for my first time. I remember going home, not knowing what I was going to, saying, Annette, you should have gone to this. I wish I would have known to have taken you with me. It's like a fair. It's a parade. It's a, it's a park. It's fun. It's just a great atmosphere, and it's extremely well organized, and it's good exercise and all those things. I'm not a runner. I, I think if I said I was a runner, I would insult the running community. Uh, what I do is I run sometimes. And when I'm in the season that I'm really running well, I run about two miles when I run, and I run about maybe two to three days a week, and that's all I want to run. I don't want to run any more than that. But once in a while, I just feel that need to run, and I have a desire to run, but I don't like running far, and I don't like running often. So, so when I prayed the prayer to begin the Swazi 5K, I hand the mic back to the person who handed it to me, and I'm standing there with guys who are runners and gals. I mean, these people look like runners. 
they train like runners, they're dressed like runners, and then there's me. When the gun goes off, something happened to me. The only thing that I know to describe to you what happened to me was just that I got caught up in the moment. And I think adrenaline took over, and I took off running with these guys who run. I mean, these are serious runners. They like were training to run in major marathons and stuff like that. Not, not like me at all. When they took off, the adrenaline just kicked in, I guess, and I'm running with them. And all of a sudden, I had this thought, I'm running with these guys, you know? And, and then the second thought that I had was, I can do this. I can run with these guys. And in about a tenth of a mile, I thought my heart was just going to explode, just <laughs> pop out of my chest. And I was gasping for air, and I had to slow down back into that jog that I do when I run in my neighborhood, you know. People started passing me. I mean, lots of people were passing me. Maybe a hundred or more people passed me. What in the world happened to me that morning? What, what was I thinking? Number one, I'd not committed myself to what it takes to be a runner. Number two, there was no training, no preparation to run with those guys. What in the world was I thinking that I could run with those guys? So just... Just know that for a little while this morning, I'm going to talk to some men, but you're not going to feel left out. But I'm going to be very direct right now and say, is there a guy or two in the room who looks at a man who is doing it right? In regard to God, and in regard to his wife, And in regard to his family and in regard to the community and regard to the church, I mean, the guy is solid. He is rock solid. He's got it down and he's doing it right. And you look at a guy like that once in a while and say, why can't I run with that guy? Why can't I keep up with him? And I think it's in moments like today where we come together and we decide that we're going to talk specifically about one issue that we say to ourselves, maybe I've never made the commitment to be that guy. And maybe I've never asked God to help me to be that guy. And maybe I've never gone through the training and the preparation and the discipleship so I could be that guy. Maybe I've never prepared myself to be that guy. I think every time that we open the Bible, we have to remind ourselves that the Bible is being written by a real person to real people in a real life context, in a real life situation. Really important. See, I can read the Bible and say to you, I know what the Bible says, but what does it mean and how do I apply it to my life today? And so I have to say, well, who was writing it? It is dynamic. Who were they writing it to? What was the context they were writing it in? And what was their intention when they wrote it? And so when I ask myself those questions, then I say, so how do I apply this truth for my life today? And so there's a guy whose name is Paul, and he's writing to Gentile Christians, people who were not raised as Jewish people. And now they're in this new life in Christ. And he's trying to talk to them about how you live this new life in the context of your existing relationships. And he's writing to people who live in a Greek world. Let me talk to you for a moment about the context. 
The Greek world had a view of women that was not very high. In Greek culture, women were meant for two things. I'm sorry, let me correct that. Wives were meant for two things. Wives were meant for having children and managing the affairs of your household. You say, well, what about companionship and what about pleasure? No, no, no. Other women did that for you. And so it was acceptable that you would have concubines or courtesans to take care of companionship and pleasure. A wife had babies and managed the home and lived much of her life in seclusion. Her husband was the one who went out, not her. And so Paul says, this new life in Christ, what does it mean to be in Christ? And how do you function in relationships in your life? And so he says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And he talks about a relationship of a husband and a wife. And he talks about the relationships in this next chapter and a half of children and their parents. And he talks about relationships with slaves and their masters because that was a very real part of their world. And so he gets to this husband and wife conversation that we're in today. Um, I remember this couple came into my office a few years ago. Uh, They had not been married very long at all. Uh, It was for both of them, their second marriage. And he had called me to set up an appointment so they could come and talk because he says the marriage is not going very well at all. And so I wasn't looking forward to the conversation. I was really sorry that the marriage was not going well. So they came in my office. They sat down. It was kind of a cold atmosphere. Um, it, It was difficult, to be honest with you. I said, well, let me let me pray before we begin. And so And so I started praying and I prayed for them. And then after I prayed for them, I said, okay, um, how how can I help you today? What what can I do for you? And he starts by simply saying, I cannot get her. And he kind of nods his head toward her. I cannot get her to submit. And that's all he said. I, I looked over to her and she looked at me and then back at the carpet. And I said, you're going to have to give me a little more. He said, well, an example is that the other night I said to her, get in there and get me something to eat. At that point, I was tempted to say, I think I might be able to help you understand what went wrong with your first marriage. But I I resisted the temptation. I didn't say it. She said to me, you can get it yourself. She interrupted and she said, Pastor Rick, I did say you can get it yourself. But before I said you can get it yourself, I said, if you're going to talk to me that way and treat me that way, then you can get it yourself. And so I grabbed a Bible off the shelf and I went to Ephesians chapter 5. And I began to talk to that couple about how you function in marriage as husband and wife, according to the Word of God. And a lot of the conversation I had with them, I'll have with you this morning, at least the essence of the conversation, okay? Let me, let me talk to you about the word submit for just a moment. In fact, I, I think I could make three statements about it that maybe would be helpful. Um, number one, when, when he says, wives, submit to your husbands, um, it is not an issue of value. 
It is not saying that the husband is more valuable than the wife. In fact, it's not even an issue of dominance. Not at all. Nor is it an issue of power or control. The second thing that I would say to you is that the Bible does not say wives submit to all men. I think that's pretty crucial. It doesn't place men at one point in society and women at another point in society. And I think the third thing that I would say to you that, that, that is this. Neither does it say men make your wife submit to you. This is a voluntary act. I would understand if somebody would say to me, why did you start with verse 21? Why didn't you start with verse 25? I think some women might be saying, Rick, verse 25 just kind of rolls right into the husbands. Love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave his life for her. Why didn't you just start there? Because if we start there, we miss something that's pretty significant. And what we miss that is so significant is this. What we miss is that in verses 21 through 24, we learn that men are given certain responsibilities that they cannot turn their backs to. There are expectations that God places on the husband in the marriage that he cannot look away from. There is something that God requires of that man that he is not allowed to shirk. And maybe the last comment I would make about all of that is simply this, and that is that if the husband gets that next paragraph right that we're going to deal with this morning, I don't think verse 22 is really ever an issue. In most relationships, it's not going to be a problem. If you're going to treat me like that and love me like that and care for me like that, I think we can get along. So let's think a little bit together. It, it amazes me that women are given one verse and men are given this paragraph. Women, you got to do this, guys. you got to do this, okay? That's what it feels like when I read this. And so what the essence of it is, is men, you must lead. I think one of the great issues we're dealing with in our society today is that men are not taking a lead that they're supposed to take in regard to their wives and their homes and their neighborhoods and their churches and their country. And God makes it very plain that you have this place of leadership. You must lead. So what does that look like? And you just kind of begin to work your way through that passage and it just begins with this idea of you lead in love. The Greek word is agape. It's not eros. It's not phileo. That's not to say that erotic love and friendship love must be in a marriage relationship as well. But he's talking now about agape. It's an act of the will, the imperative tense, which really means to continue to love your wife. I know you loved her then. Continue to love her and lead her. And so we say, Paul, can you give me some kind of a picture? Can you show me what this is all about? What are you asking me to do? What does it look like to love my wife the way that God would have me love her? And he says, let me think about a picture. Let's see. Oh, oh, I got it. He says, okay, just focus on the cross. That's it. Love her like Christ loved the church and laid down his life for her. What? Willing to give my life for her. When you read that language, it begins to open up a new understanding of how we love someone. 
That she might be holy and blameless and pure and spotless. Her righteousness is the end goal. And as a husband, I have to ask myself the question, do I love my wife to the point that I would give my life for the sake of her soul? How important is Annette's journey with God to me? How passionate? To what extent would I go? Is there anything I wouldn't do to make sure that Annette is on the right path with God? Because her righteousness becomes the end goal for me. The instrument. The cleansing comes through the washing of the water through the word. It could be translated here the gospel or the word of God. And it reminds me that I lead through the word of God. Once in a while, a guy will pop down in my office and we'll talk for a while about what's going on in his life. And I'll say to him, so tell me about your, your walk with the Lord and, 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 your, and your daily time with God. Do, do you read your Bible? Do you pray? And sometimes he says to me, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't read my Bible, Pastor Rick. I haven't read my Bible in years. And I think to myself, then how in the world are you going to be able to lead? If you're not in the Word, how can you lead people in the Word? I've tried to be transparent with you over the last year and a half and tell you that uh, I fight the same battles that many of you fight. I try to be honest with you about how much I care about myself. I was in the store the other day and I saw a watermelon and it was cold. You know who I thought of when I saw that watermelon? Me. And so I bought it for myself, brought it home and ate it for myself. The truth is I'm nuts about me. I'm crazy about me. I'm always watching out for me. I'm always doing little things I think I might appreciate and enjoy. (laughs) You know what I do every day? Three times a day I feed me. I take care of myself. I'm always making sure that I get taken care of. And it's not unique to me or unusual to me that Paul would use that kind of language to talk about our relationships with our wives. You know what he says? You love her like you love your own body and you care for your own body and you feed your own body and you take care of your That's how you love your wife. It's a selflessness kind of love. I know how much I want that and how important it is to me. I know how much she must want it, so I'm going to let her have it. All right, so here we go. We've got to think in terms of application, right? And so you may say, I'm not, I'm not a husband. You might even say, I'm not a male. <laughs> so, so do these principles apply to my life at all? Well, I think that Paul is specifically talking to husbands in this passage. But in keeping consistency with the New Testament, yes, obviously the New Testament tells us that in all of our relationships we need to be concerned about other people's souls and that we need to lead people in the Word of God and that we need what? Desperately to be selfless in our relationships. Yes, you can apply those to all relationships. So there's something for everybody. But I think this morning for a a young girl who is dating a young man or for that matter, no matter what age the two of you may be, 
I think I would say to you, this, this young man that you are dating, how important is your journey with God to him? Would he stop short of nothing, of giving his own life, that you could be right in your journey with God? Is your righteousness his chief end goal for you? Can this man disciple you in the Word? Can this man lead your journey with God? Can he be the priest of your home? Is he selfless in his relationship with you? Does he constantly put you first? Or do you see selfishness in him saying, I'm not concerned right now about you. I'm going to do what I want. And, and I think as a young man who is dating a young woman, or for any age for that matter, are you, are you saying to yourself this morning, so can I lead? Can I lead this girl in her journey with God? How concerned am I for her journey with God? Am I selfless in my relationship with her? And, and, and I think for sure that there are all of us who are husbands in the room this morning. We are seeing this stuff eye to eye and we're asking ourselves, am I leading as God would have me lead? And there's probably a few of us saying, I need a little help. I'm like you in the 5K, Rick. I haven't committed to this. I haven't done the training. I haven't done the preparation. I have not been discipled to do this. Recently, God has challenged me as a pastor to really step up my leadership in a few areas. And this is one of those areas to men. And so... You received something when you walked in the door this morning. This is very important to me. It says opportunities for you to grow while you're here at BFC. And there's lots of opportunities if you thumb through this thing. And they're all starting right now because it's the fall of the year and we've kind of settled back into a schedule. You may say, Rick, I would love to lead my family, but I've got this habit in my life or this hurt in my life or this hang up in my life. And I don't know that I'm ever going to be able to do anything well as long as I've got this junk in my life. Maybe it's celebrate recovery that you desperately need right now in your life. You need to take that step. You need to visit there Tuesday night. Maybe you're dealing with financial struggles that are so heavy you don't know how you're going to overcome to ever really get your mind on leading your family. Maybe it's financial peace that you need. And there's lots of opportunities here. In fact, I think as a family today or even as an individual to sit down and say, what opportunities am I going to take? But let me mention three of these to men, okay? And every time I mention an opportunity to grow as a man, there's an opportunity in that same spot of time to grow as a female, as a woman. In other words, you could come as a couple or as a family or individually. It doesn't matter. But if you look as you open it, just on this side over here, the left side, middle ways, it says community Bible study. The book of Genesis. Jeannie McCullough teaches that Bible study. It's happened here for years. For a long time it was for women. But now it's for women and men. And there's a guy named Gary Frazier who would be your point person. And you would sit at a table with men. Some of you say, how in the world could I go to a Bible study, you know, at uh, 9.30 on Tuesday morning? Maybe you can't. But maybe there's many of you who could. And that would be your best time. Then I challenge you to go. But let me talk to you about two other Bible studies for men this fall. 7 o'clock on Wednesday evening. 
just across the page, middle ways, men's Bible study. It's taught by Tim Taylor. The measure of a man. Discussing the very issues we've talked about this morning. Room 122, just out this hallway. Starting this Wednesday night. And then if you go to the very bottom of that page, men's challenge, 50 days to becoming the leader God created you to be. Brett Bradley is teaching that class in room 026, 7 o'clock on Wednesday night. And I know that when this thing showed up a couple of weeks ago, some of you guys said, I'm going to that one or I'm going to that one. And what I'm doing this morning is inviting others of you to go. you're a college student, if you're just starting a family, if you've been working at this stuff for years and you say, I'm not prepared to run the race with those guys, I need training, I need discipleship, I would say to you, take advantage of it. And say to your wife, it'd be good for you to get a little more Bible yourself, go with me and go to the other stuff that's happening. Let me, let me just take a minute and I'll stop, okay? You remember when Promise Keepers was kind of big? Some of you are like, no, I wasn't born. <laughs> well, I was, I was young. I was pastoring a church. And I remember taking a, a group of guys from my church several times to Promise Keepers events. The seven promises of a Promise Keeper. And it was stuff like, committed to follow the Word of God and committed to your children as a father, committed to your wife faithfully as a husband, committed to moral issues. I mean, it was just, it was great stuff. And I remember we were in Atlanta, I'm pretty sure. And I'm there with a bunch of my guys and after one of those sermons about the seven promises of a promise keeper, I got to thinking about my dad. And the life he lived in front of me. And I got overwhelmed. It wasn't one of those services where a lot of people were crying or anything like that. But I, I felt this urge to cry. I was feeling my throat tighten and my eyes were starting to water. And I was swallowing hard and... I just didn't want to break down and cry. I I, I was powerless over that emotion that overwhelmed me when I began to think about being raised in a home like I was raised in. And my dad, never going to one of those events, but always living as a promise keeper. And finally, I just started crying. I, I remember one guy in the group saw me and he was... I guess worried about me, thought maybe I was emotionally losing it or something. And he was trying to get over to me. He's kind of stepping over some bleachers and, you know, people are moving. And he, his name's Rock Jaggers. Don't you wish your name was Rock Jaggers some days? And he sits down beside me and he puts his arm around me. He says, Pastor, are you okay? You want to talk about your dad? And I said, Rock, I had one of the greatest dads you could ever have. Oh, he was, he was the guy who could get irritated me in a heartbeat. You know, I, you know I, I probably frustrated him half to death at times. 
There were times when he was impatient. I know all those things. But the important things my dad got right. And I remember leaving that stadium and I got away from everybody. And I went and I called my dad on the phone. And I said, Dad, I'm just kind of a bumbling mess right now. But I got to tell you that you've been a good father. And you were a good husband. And you're a godly man. And I'm blessed to be your son. My dad didn't know what to do with that. He was humble and we call him Poppy these days. And he just said, well, I guess I did the best I could. If I can help men in this church, if I can help a, a college student, if I can help somebody begin to get on that right track, that right journey then that's what I want to do. I had an awful thing happen this morning. It was in between services and for whatever reason I grabbed my phone out of my pocket and it was just kind of blowing up with message and I I remember just saying, oh my goodness. And so I went to messages and the first message I read was from my friend John. I don't know how many times I sat with John in a Mexican restaurant and had lunch, but it was too many probably. And all it said was, Rick, John Patrick was in a fatal accident last night. Your friend John. Annette was with me. I just said, oh no. She goes, what? And I showed her. And of course, we called John and we, we prayed with him. John Patrick's only maybe 19, 20. And, and I said to Annette, I said, you know, every sermon I feel like I'm passionate about, but, but this changes the sermon to me. John had his opportunity with Patrick and, and the opportunity is gone now. Would, would you, over the next day or two, say a prayer for my friend John and Pat as they try to understand what life is like now without Patrick? So, we're having communion today. and It changes things a little bit, but I'm going to ask you to do this. Would every, every male in the room stand up? In a moment, I'm going to pray a brief prayer for you before we receive the elements together. And I thought, I thought what I would do next, since we all stand when we receive communion, it's easier for the ushers to pass. I thought, I thought in a moment I would say I want everybody to stand. And if you're near somebody that you love, or you know really well, or maybe it's a family member, or maybe it's a husband, or maybe it's a son... And and you think it's appropriate, would you take their hand or put your arm around them or put both arms around them? And would you join me in this prayer as we pray for our men? So let's all stand together now. Would you bow your heads with me? Let's pray. Father, in in just a moment we're going to receive the bread and, and the juice. 
And, and as we do, Lord, we are in that same moment receiving your grace. We understand that Jesus died on a cross for this. To give us the grace to live the life that we are called to live. And so I just simply in this moment say, God, help us to be the men that you've called us to be. In Jesus' name. Amen. We have some people who are going to come and serve us. And and what I would ask you to do is just hold on to the elements until everybody is served. And, and, And then at my direction, we will all eat and drink together. You don't have to be a member of our church to receive communion with us this morning. What is very, very important is that you're sincere and that you're seeking Jesus as you do this. And so as it's being passed out, we will will sing together and then I will lead us in a moment.
want to come to the altar, you're welcome to do that. You can step out at any time. Even if you want to come as a family, you should feel free always to come and pray. So Jesus was with his disciples and he took the bread and what did he do? He broke it. And he shared it with all of them and he said, this is my body of the new, this is my body rather, take it and eat it, all of you. And then he took the cup and he said, this is my blood of the new covenant. Drink it, all of you, and be thankful. So, Father, we thank you for Jesus and we thank you for the grace that we receive to live the life that you've called us to live. And I pray, Lord, that you will make us men, men of God. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. been listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Visit us online at bethanynaz.org.